The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The topic I'd like to explore tonight is wisdom. And wisdom is one of those qualities that uh, much can be said about and much has. Uh, It's um, kind of an abstract, if we just say the word wisdom, that could kind of floats out there, that could mean a lot of things. But in Buddhism, uh, it has more very specific meanings. And, and really a lot has been written about it in the texts of the Pali Canon and by the commentators throughout the millennia. Um, the Pali Canon are the scriptures of Buddhism. They're the texts from the time a few hundred years after the death of the Buddha which relate the remembered words of the Buddha, the Buddha's teachings, his talks, in other words, his discourses. Uh, And this canon, this collection of texts, is very large. It's like a book encyclopedia. You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know how many gigabytes that would be, but it's enormous. I could probably look it up on Access to Insight. Um... In any case, it's said to contain all of the teachings of the Buddha um, during his life on this earth. So wisdom, that's the Pali Canon, which is in the Theravada tradition, which this center is mostly based in, the Theravada, which is the way of the elders, so the most, um, the oldest Buddhist tradition. But wisdom also appears as a subject and a topic in other Buddhist traditions. Um, in, in the Zen traditions, Chinese is Chan, uh, but the Japanese took uh, a word for that is Zen, which means meditation, actually. So, um, so it appears in that, and it also appears in the Tibetan tradition. Um, and there are not only in the in the text but also in the commentaries to the text wisdom appears as one of the paramis or in the zen tradition and the um paramitas in the theravada tradition the difference in those two is the difference in the pali language which is a dead language like um actually a few people speak it but um only scholars of buddhist texts it's more like latin People know it, it's very alive in the sense that it's carried forward, but it's not a spoken language any longer. And Sanskrit, um, so paramis, paramitas. But the wisdom that's referred to in, in all of these texts is often called spiritual wisdom or transcendent wisdom. And that is has a particular translation that maybe it's interesting to to just hear the words too, because they're used a lot um, within Buddhist circles because it's difficult to get this quality of spiritual or transcendent across with all the connotations without using the words panya in the the Theravada tradition or uh, prajna in the the Sanskrit, the, um, the chan and and the the, um, the Tibetan traditions. 
so transcendent and spiritual, those mean, those have the connotation that this wisdom is more encompassing and it's also more precise than what we think of as the common definitions of wisdom that we're more familiar with. But it, it includes these, but it also goes beyond them and it's more precise in its uh, applications of wisdom. So it contains elements of sagacity, of, um, of knowing things from a, um, a wise perspective. It contains a connotation of prudence, having strong values, serenity. And it also has the um, kind of the worldly wisdom or maybe even street smarts. I mean, wisdom, as we use it in ordinary language, means kind of all of these things. Just because you're wise doesn't mean you don't know what's going on when you're walking down the street. But this wisdom in Buddhism, panya or prajna, also includes a gestalt kind of knowing that's not simply cognitive or emotive but that holds a non-dividing view of moment-by-moment situations of our life and how we might live it. So it's an ongoing, alive quality. So this prajna panya wisdom recognizes that there are levels of reality, the relative and the non-relative, and it reconciles them. So it puts together in a, in a kind of a non-dualistic way, although it recognizes that we live our lives in a certain way in these mind-body um, coordinates that we carry around with us, um, but that there's also another part that's more... Um, transcendent or uh, difficult to talk about, that language doesn't any ha- have words for, but that nevertheless we can recognize. So this is, um, this is the reconciliation that wisdom does in Buddhism. It's transcendent in that it doesn't involve the ego. So there are lots of kind of knowing, and even we can be wise and yet know we're wise. Um, but there's a kind of a way that we, that we go beyond that or see through that, um, that ego part of us. It doesn't mean that we don't have an ego. It means that we can see it and also see through it to another kind of wisdom. So the wisdom is precise in the Buddhist traditions in that there are very well-defined ways to access it and to cultivate it. So most fundamentally, uh, the Four Noble Truths are an outline of wisdom. So in a sense, they, I mean, you could just stick with those and they kind of have it all. (laughs) Uh, So knowing these truths in the way of wisdom in Buddhism means integrating them into the fiber of our being or out more recognizing that they are in the fiber of our being. And we can do that through all of our sense doors, but particularly our mind. 
And there, there are ways to do this integration. And they include cognitive study, that is, reading the texts, um, reading these principles, reading what Buddhist writers throughout millennia have written about these, and listening to people speak about them. And another development of integration of wisdom is reflection. It's asking ourselves and perhaps others, what, what does this wisdom mean? Or what does this quality of wisdom mean, this particular aspect of wisdom mean in a very practical way? How can I apply this? What does this have to do with my life? For example, what, what does right, right speech how would that work? How, how does that work in terms of wisdom? Or what about suffering, which is one of the noble truths? Or what about the causes of suffering? Or uh, the three marks of being, which are included in the four noble truths? So I'm going to review those quickly, uh, the four noble truths, that is, since they are so central and applicable to wisdom in the tradition. So the first truth, and this is, I have some alternative translations here um, that many scholars have proposed. And um, the first truth is classically called suffering, but it's also translated as stress or anguish or unsatisfactoriness, which is kind of my personal favorite. Um, And these are part of our lives. So... The first truth is the recognition that this is part of life, unsatisfactoriness, that there is not perfection in human life. We experience this mental anguish, etc., etc. So that's the first one in short. And the second truth is that there are causes for this unsatisfactoriness the stress that we experience. And the main cause is craving. And this has three fundamental manifestations, greed, hatred, and ignorance. Um, So craving also has the sense in Buddhism of not only clinging on to something, but also shoving something away, also pushing something away. So we can be greedy to something, or we can not like something and push it away, or we can just be ignorant of what is going on. And we all know this like by just sitting down with a little meditation and realizing, oh, I didn't know that was going on, you know, until, until we become aware of it, until we awaken our awareness. So, and the third truth, a central and um, lovely truth in the Buddhist teachings is that this suffering and anguish can cease. We can let go of our craving and dispel our ignorance. So the ignorance more specifically that we that we would dispel of, that we would dispel in order to um, in order to access this prajna that's within us, our panya, this kind of wisdom, is the ignorance of our impermanent self-nature and the depth of our suffering. So those are called the marks of existence, that there's nothing is permanent um, and that we have no 
permanent abiding self. It doesn't mean we don't have a body and a personality and everything that goes with being a human being, but there is nothing that lasts. We are born into from who knows where and we depart to who knows where. The ultimate impermanence. We kind of construct our lives around during the interim, especially as adults, kind of pretending that a lot of things are permanent. And some of this is necessary in order to just uh, get along in the world, which Buddhist wisdom doesn't exclude either. It's not like going to some place, mountaintop or wherever it might be, and uh, withdrawing from the world. That can be an avenue, but it doesn't necessarily have to be an avenue to access this wisdom. So to repeat the third truth, we can... This suffering and, and, can, and unsatisfactoriness can cease. We can let go of our craving and dispel our ignorance. And that's sort of what wisdom is about, learning to do that. It's, in a way, learning what our deepest nature is. The fourth truth is that there are specific steps we can take to free ourselves of ignorance and craving and clinging to conditioned illusions such as permanence. So there are ways we can be in the world and live according to our human nature and, as some traditions have it, our Buddha nature. We can have these come together. So the first one is clear seeing and comprehension, also called right view and understanding in the more traditional um, uh, translation. And the second truth is, I'm just going to go through these quickly, you know, because the to get to other things, but these are the foundation and they do kind of repeat. uh, I mean, one could speak, (laughs) you know, a month retreat on just any one of these. Um, The second one, anyway, is clear purpose or right resolve. So it's... um, Oh, I I should put one little gloss on the first truth, clear seeing and comprehension or right view and understanding, that is kind of a little aspect of wisdom. It's knowing for ourselves these first three truths, recognizing that there is clinging, recognizing that there is impermanence, and that there is no abiding self, um, and that there is suffering when we try to cling on to permanence or abiding self. And knowing the third truth, which is perhaps maybe the most difficult to understand, uh, where wisdom really comes in handy, is that suffering and anguish can cease. We can let go. Um, So the second truth is clear purpose or right resolve, which is alignment with the deep truth of things uh, and a conscious intention to live with awareness and compassion. And the third truth is clear speech or right speech, so speaking from wisdom and compassion. And, and there is also the, um, the opposite side of that, abstention from things like lying and slander and abuse and gossip and, you know, kind of the obvious things. 
And the fourth truth is wise action or right action. So that involves recognizing the interrelatedness of actions and beings. We live according to the natural law of compassion. So this is manifest in not killing, stealing, engaging in sexual misconduct, not lying and not becoming intoxicated. So this is a kind of the moral uh, group. This falls in the moral group of these noble truths. The fifth noble truth is wise livelihood or right livelihood, choosing our work in the world as best we can with the intention to benefit ourselves and others, dealing honorably with others as we work with them. The sixth truth is wise use of energy or wise effort or right effort. So that's a kind of perseverance in cultivating skillful states of being and in letting go of unskillful ones. So it's a steadfastness in inquiry and investigation um, which helps open our wisdom eye. Then the... uh, the last two are particularly um, related to the to I will develop these a little more in talking of an overall view of wisdom in the Buddhist tradition. Clear attention or right mindfulness. So bringing our awareness to our whole being, the body-mind that's comprised of all of our sense doors and includes the mind in the Buddhist uh, view, our, our consciousness, And holding this awareness with an intention of non-identification of whatever arises to our awareness. And the last noble truth is clear concentration or right concentration. So focusing our awareness, collecting and unifying our mind so that we discern things as they are at the deepest levels. And in these concentrations, we experience joy, happiness, insight, and equanimity. And I believe one of your other speakers was talking about these. These last are called the Brahma Viharas. Um, So those are another aspect of wisdom. In fact, this whole last group, these last three in the Four Noble Truths are often put in little groupings, which the Buddhists really like to do, uh, because they didn't have written language for so long, uh, they had very well-developed language, but not a written ver- form of it. It's handy to collect things in little groups to remember them. And these last groups are called the punya, the, or the, the prajna grouping of the Four Noble Truths. So those dealing particularly with wisdom. So, and then the most crucial path, or picking up from these, these, the noble eightfold path, which those were, eight, the eightfold way, different, different ways in. So it's not like a linear path, but more maybe a mandala path, or that, that, that you can get in through any one of them, and, and they all relate to one another. Um, so, but in, in the Buddhist view, there is emphasis given to, um, to, for accessing wisdom to the path of meditation. So, and I'm using this term particularly 
in the Buddhist meaning of bhavana, the Buddhist meaning of bhavana, which is mental cultivation. So meditation is a kind of, a, it's a, a very useful and wonderful word in our language from the Latin, and, but it, it means, it's out in the culture and it means a lot of different things. It has a lot of different contexts. But in the Buddhist context, meditation means mental cultivation. And, and this has these two legs of mindfulness and concentration. So these are ways to access <coughs> wisdom. And there are many, many, many teachings on these. Um, so, but the important thing is practice. The important thing is doing them. These are only experiential. You can read about them and that's very helpful and you can listen to teachings and that's also very helpful. Um, but without practicing, then you don't have the experience yourself. So one of my particular favorites in these teachings is the Satipatthana Sutta, which is called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And though it, it speaks, its name is mindfulness, and it outlines mindfulness, and it goes through the four foundations, which I won't go into because we don't have time for that. This is just mostly to give you an idea that if you don't already know, uh, or perhaps to remind you if you do, that these teachings are out there, and they're really wonderful ways to spend your time. Um, if you follow this sutra, or Gil, Gil's very good at giving teachings on this, I don't know how much he does that anymore, but um, he used to do it quite a bit. And even though the found four foundations speaks of mindfulness, if you follow it and practice it with care, you also develop concentration, and you see the relationship between concentration and mindfulness. Because because language is a sort of a, a of necessity a bifurcated tool. Uh, we, but it's not the way things actually are. Just like we, well, we have eyes and we have ears and we have all these different parts, but we're just we're, we're integrated. We're we're one. You know, we we are one. So the same with these practices. Um, they they work together. They're not separate. We can separate them out to to talk about particular aspects. Um, I think I, I I speak about thirty minutes. Is that right? I've forgotten. Um, sure, you can keep on going. You have oh, mine. <laughs> well, then I don't get to hear anyone else. So, uh, <laughs> so I and and that's uh, one of my favorite parts. So, <laughs> okay. so I I'm mean, just realize I'm gonna have to do a little editing here. So, um, so, um, so I've um, I've talked a lot about uh, tech. Uh, maybe I should mention one other place that uh, that I was going to do a lot of, but I'll just do briefly just mention this to you that um, that. There are many other references to wisdom. In, I mean, there are many ways to look at wisdom in the Pali Canon and in the Buddhist teachings from other traditions. So um, there's one, uh, the Samyutta Nikaya, uh, calls this, calls wisdom one of the five spiritual faculties. And so the faculties also, they're similar to the, the paramis and perfections. They're, they have... 
They're qualities that we can cultivate and develop and they are also inherent in us, though we may forget we have them or we haven't just spent time tuning into them. Um, So those are the faculty of faith, uh, which I like to translate as trust because faith is a bit of a of a word that also has a lot of cultural um, baggage with it in our culture. Um, but trust, I think, is hugely important, so I like to translate it that way, and I know other teachers who also do. Um, so the faculty of faith, the faculty of vigor or effort, that's once again referring to the effort, the right effort, faculty of mindfulness, the faculty of concentration, the faculty of wisdom. So this is another just kind of way of remembering these things going together. But the interesting thing is, uh, in this text, in the Samyutta Nikaya, it talks about how these factors all balance one another. So, so these are another ways, specific, precise ways that Buddhism has to, to allow us to discover our own wisdom our own panya and prajna, which is the deepest wisdom. So, um, I've spoken a lot about textual material, but how to apply this, this is always the big question, right? Or the big questions that go on all the time, because every moment we have an opportunity to express, access, of be in touch with wisdom. Um, the most important quality, in my view, to cultivate is trust. Um, and perhaps the most important trust is to trust in oneself. As the Buddha himself very famously advised, ehi pasiko, in the Pali language, go and see for yourselves. Um, it's just a teaching that resonates with me a lot. It may resonate with you. I think it does because also it's not just personal with me, but as a species, we're so slow that we're used to being corrected for a long time by our parents and teachers. We have kind of a habit or a cultivation. They're kind of, seriously, we're, it's actually neurally in, grooved in <laughs> that, you know, to kind of doubt ourselves in a certain kind of sense or to have or to be corrected or to look to outside authority for answer you know and instead the wisdom is only from within each one of us the buddha's great gift to humanity was that he was just a human being who had a complex life and i would say maybe from certain aspects not a perfect life by any means uh, but his great gift to us was to to say I'll just apply myself, and I know there's. I'm got. I just have the sense there's something else going on, and I'm just going to find out what it is, and I'm going <coughs> to apply myself to do that. And then he did that, and he came back with such a teaching that was so convincing <coughs> for so many millennia that we are still talking and listening to his words. Go and see for yourselves. Another important um, practical application is to take the time to follow the path. Uh, Indeed, to practice. I already mentioned practice, but taking the time. We live in a culture which puts a 
a really very strange, in my view, and uh, kind of hyper-pressurized, uh, has a strange and hyper-pressurized view of time. Um, other cultures don't have this necessarily, but, but if we just give ourselves time to do it, meditation is the most powerful practice. It's the way to access wisdom, uh, but it asks some time and energy as, at a minimum, a daily practice. And just it's just getting in the habit. If you get in the habit for 10 minutes, then you can lengthen it to 15. If you get in the habit for 15, then you can go for 20. If you, You'd just be surprised with just going at it and going at it and going at it. And then maybe you could do it twice, 15, or pretty soon you're up to an hour. It gets very interesting when you give it the time. It gets very interesting. It gets very opening. You really begin to feel the wisdom. So uh, retreats are particularly designed to maximize time and energy in this way, meditation retreats. And I always encourage people to look into those. It's a wonderful gift to go to ourselves and for others. We don't think, oh my God, I'm going to have to... My family's going to miss me, or uh, I'm, you know. But it it really is a gift to others too. I must say, I'd like to kind of wave my magic language wand and get out of using meditation retreat because retreat implies you're going away from something. You know, it's it's um, it's like you're retreating. You know, and instead you're going you're going into something. You're going into something really wonderful. So what I would change this phrase, going on a meditation retreat, I would say, I'm going to take a refresher course. (laughs) I'm going to take a refresher course. And then, of course, people will ask, what, in what? (laughs) And then, (laughs) well, in, uh, in, in being here, in being here, just being here, in being who I am. I mean, there are many answers. In being who I am, in being happy in being wise, in knowing myself. There are many refresher courses we can take. A refresher course, to me, reflects both the energetic aspects of meditation and the fact that we actually do know our wisdom. We're just refreshing. We just, it's here. We're just refreshing it, bringing it up again so that it's fresh for us. We, um, the, the, the retreats allow us to just let go of the distractions that we have in our lives, to reconnect with this wisdom, which is really what sustains us. Wisdom, so I've gone into kind of like the longer Buddhist text, although very briefly, but wisdom also lends itself to pithy, you know, little sayings and observations which are helpful pointers and maybe things to remember. From the Pali Canon, the Buddha's words, nothing is worth clinging to as me or mine. Nothing is worth clinging to as me or mine. Uh, It's a hard thing to to kind of uh, disallow ourselves the concept of, of an abiding self. And so, and of, and of the habit of either holding on to pleasant things or pushing away unpleasant things. 
because somehow that's all about me. Nothing is worth clinging to as me or mine. From the Zen and Tibetan traditions, they both um, have these uh, short ways to encapsulate Buddhist wisdom. Embrace and sustain right conduct. Embrace and sustain every good. Embrace and sustain all beings. And from Shantideva, who is a famous Indian uh, Buddhist practitioner, who took Buddhism um, to different areas in China and into um, and through his disciples. I won't get into all that, but uh, also into Tibet. He's very revered in the Tibetan and in the Zen traditions in China and Japan. Uh, one of his sayings in the in the way of the Bodhisattva is, one should be a pupil of everyone all the time. One should be a pupil of everyone all the time. And from Zen Master Dogen, who is the, um, who is the founder of Soto Zen, which is a practice of mine, it's not only a matter of effort. One should not miss the right opportunity. And that points to keeping our awareness, keeping our mindfulness alive, being aware of where we are so as we don't miss the right opportunity. And I don't know where this is from, but it's in my head. And it's always, I always associate it with Buddhism, or this path, or the path of wisdom anyway. Um, the wise person doesn't know everything. There's a certain humility in wisdom. So I, uh, I like to take the opportunity to end the little talks I give with um, a poem. So I'll do that this evening. The poem is called Home. Home. Full of emptiness, conjugate the happiness you've gleaned. The pine siskin's table is set upside down on the birch. What color of dolor stains every eye? Your daughter feeds the neighbors with bread she's baked of dust and light and do. The body's spool unwinds, true as a worm. Here is the door you open to cries of surprise. Here, the rest. So I thank you for your attention, and, um, and I hope... Uh, you will feel like saying something about wisdom because I would like to hear that. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone else would like to hear that too. I didn't understand the poem. <laughs> Not even a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
poems don't need to be understood to be enjoyed. So I hope that you enjoyed it. And um, perhaps you didn't enjoy it either, but then that's just the way it is. But uh, truly poems are a little bit about... um, a little bit about seeing that uh, kind of a bigger language, a language that doesn't just mean something, but a poem has image, it has rhythm, it has music, so um, you don't have to put it all together. (laughs) Thank you. No. <laughs> that brings up actually that was c- courageous uh, to say that and that's an element of wisdom too we have to have a kind of courage in order to see our wisdom it can be scary sometimes and uh, that was very courageous so thank you Um, I really enjoyed the poem, although I didn't understand it all either, but it brought a lot of images and like a dance rhythm as I heard it. So even though I didn't enjoy it all, it did bring a lot of images that I enjoyed. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I've been, I found myself in a position where it's been useful to go back to observing suffering. That I found that I was ignoring or pushing away something, feelings of uncomfortableness or denying um, my own uncomfortableness with things, so that there was a momentum in my life that was going on without acknowledging those seconds of things that are are what we usually in regular speech call suffering. It's not just you know subtle kind of of of, of references to impermanence being suffering, and. It's been really helpful. I've been under a lot of stress recently. My husband's company was acquired by another company, and there's a whole lot of turbulence around that. And, you know, it's, it's a little nerve-wracking. And um, between that and then everyday life and things that happen within my family, I'll stop at these last few weeks, and it's like, oh... This is what they're talking about. This is it. You know, because you you have to cope. You have to go through life and you have to do the stuff that needs to be done. So you just sort of roll yourself up into a big, hard, round ball so you can, you know, get going as well as you can. But this stopping and noticing in my everyday life that this is hard, it's like I've been doing some very difficult paperwork and my personal alarm clock, ding, 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 and my head will be going off because it'll be like, 
And it's like, oh, look at this. And then I'll, I'll set my timer. I'll set my meditation timer and I'll sit with it. Because the inclination is to push it away. It's no, I have to get through this piece of paper. And it's, I do, but I'm going to be struggling the whole time. So it's like, oh, stop, come on in, come on in, okay. And then I'll set my timer and I'll sit. And sometimes I'm very aware of the thing that's going on. And other times in the face of just sitting still, all those things sort of melt. And it's just been sort of a, a back to the very, very basic sort of thing. It's like, oh, take out the basic hammer and tongs and work with those things. You know, just as first aid. It's like I've got this little first aid kit in my life right now. And it just starts where you were talking about. That's just it. Wow. That's beautiful. That is just points to so many things, Maureen. That is just beautiful to the body. The body has its wisdom. The body just coming back to the breath. You start to feel the subtleties of the breath. And also, too, that there's... N- it's never really... Just because of language, we have to say one thing follows of an, another. But really, it's... You never... You never get beyond anything. You, you, you're all, you, it's all there all the time. You just can be with it in whatever, but you find a way. That's wise. You find a way. And, and every one of us has different circumstances, so we will all need to find our own way. But, well, it's just beautiful. Thank you so much. It's there. The wisdom is there. And the ease, that's what I heard you say, that there gets to be a little, oh. We also live in a culture of denial. You pointed to that, too. We live in a culture that just denies age, denies death, denies the four stages of man, really. I mean, it's just birth youth. Youth is the only stage that's allowed. (laughs) Babies are not really, you know, kind of cute, but we don't really tune into them. (laughs) It's really nice for the people who, if they, if anyone ever happens to tune in, on, on the MP3s to these little talks we're having, it's really nice for them to hear what you say and not just what who's ever up here in this seat says. It's really important. So thank you for getting it. <laughs> we're getting the mic. mic I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure of the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Will you be doing any more creativity uh, work? I know that you. I missed one of your retreats, and I wonder if that might be coming up. Oh, what a leading question. <laughs> I love that question. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I will. As a matter of fact, it's in April. I believe it's April 24th. 
And it's a one-day retreat here at the center. And uh, so anyone who's interested, you're all invited. Um, And um, so these retreats are pretty open-ended. People have taken them who just, who don't necessarily have a form, like they're not, they don't have a writing form or a... uh, a drawing form, or um, but but they come to, uh, because they have a problem. I mean, they're useful if you have something that to just get in that mind frame of creativity. I've worked with people who've just like had just like job decisions to make or or other life decisions, and just just writing about it, just giving themselves permission to come and just do some within the context of meditative awareness it can be helpful so but anyway you're invited or as you as you like as you feel moved and there will be a flyer out on that so uh, April end of April well we have a few minutes and if no one feels like um like speaking anymore. Perhaps it's nice to end with a little getting in touch. It's always good to just be in touch with where we are. Um, But if anyone wants to speak, there's that opportunity to May we be well and happy. May all beings everywhere be well and happy. Thank you for coming out tonight in the rain to share your practice. Mm-hmm.